Welcome to St. Mark's N4, a church in the heart of Finsbury Park. For more information, visit our website. We can also be found on social media too. We look forward to seeing you at one of our services really soon. here today uh, may get a treat of something nice for lunch or dinner this evening. Uh, I want to talk today sort of and linking where we are in the creed or where we're going back to. Uh, we're thinking about the Father and what our view of the Father is. How do we perceive what God is like as a Father? Because I think so often the image of God is based as I said earlier, on our experience of what our own fathers might be like or what we perceive based on that human experience of a father. And the reason I did that prawn thing earlier was because we actually had a young woman back years ago when we were running a youth group who uh, was about to leave to go off to university or a job, I can't remember which, and uh, we invited her for dinner and I asked her the question, uh, whether or not she liked prawns, because one of the things I enjoy cooking is uh, something called chicken merengue, which is both chicken and prawns in a bit of masala wine. It's very tasty if you've never had it. Uh, look up the recipe and cook it. And, and the best way to cook it is with the shell on with the prawns, because you get so much more flavor. Anyway, she said yes, she loved prawns. And um, when she arrived and we dished it up, she looked at these prawns with all their legs and all the long you know, feel a bits, and the eyes looking at her almost, uh, big ones, you know, the big juicy prawns. And she went, ugh, I can't eat that. And I said, I thought you liked prawns. Is it that the shell is on it? So I said that I would take the heads off, and um, uh, for those of you that want to know, I love sucking the heads. There's so much lovely juice in those. And then, um, uh, so I took the, the, the heads off and the shells off and, and gave her the prawn about the size of my thumb, I guess. And she looked at it still with horror. And I said, do you like prawns? We did ask you. And she said, well, I like prawn cocktail crisps. <laughs> <laughs> Her image was so different of what the reality is. And I wonder if our image of what God the Father is like is so colored by what we understand of our Father. And how do we get to look at who the Father is? How do we see truly who God the Father is to us? Of course, even if we have a good earthly father, we need to look to the standard of God and not to the substandard. Substandard isn't necessarily bad. It's just not the standard. Again, when I was working in the food industry, uh, occasionally there would be a knock on the door and all panic would set loose in the factory because weights and measures had arrived. And they would often come in carrying boxes. And in the boxes, which would be baize lined, when they opened them, they would put on white gloves because in the boxes were standard weights. And they would then check our weights against the standard. We weren't allowed to touch those weights. 
they were only allowed to touch them with the gloves on because nothing was to damage them. Actually, if the truth is known, they were called substandards because the standard is locked away in a laboratory somewhere. But for us, that was the standard that we had to attain to, to make sure that our weights matched the standard. How do we discover the standard? Well, I think that the way we do it is to look at Jesus. Because I believe that Jesus came to reveal something of the Father and who the Father is and was. When we look at Jesus, we see the characteristics of the Father. You could say, like Father, like Son. A couple of weeks ago, I went to a funeral of my uncle. And um, I went back to uh, Suffolk and, and I saw lots of cousins and relatives and people that I haven't seen since I was a child. And somebody, well, several people said, oh, you look just like your dad. <laughs> and in fact, one person called me Philip, which is my dad's name, <laughs> uh, because I looked apparently so much like my dad. And that's really true of Jesus. Like father, like son. In fact, Jesus said, didn't he, when... Uh, when Philip, was it Philip or Thomas, I can't remember, sorry, asked, um, show us the Father. Jesus' response was, oh, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? And John, writing the gospel, says, no one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who himself is God, and is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. And then Jesus said of himself, very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. So I get that sense from what Jesus is saying and what John is looking back and saying, and from what other of the New Testament writers say, is that when we see Jesus, when we look at Jesus, we see the essence of God himself as Father. The one truly who is compassionate, who loved to bring healing and wholeness. The one who gives himself. Actually, the one who gets angry at injustice. And we see that in the temple, don't we, as he overturns the table of the money sellers, seeking to make a profit out of people's prayer. When we see Jesus and look at Jesus, we see and we get revealed to us more and more of who the Father is. But Jesus then tells a story in Luke 15, which we've just heard read, that shows us, again, something of the nature of the Father. I don't know about you, but it's often in stories that I find my heart connecting, that I can connect with a truth that becomes a reality through a story. And Jesus tells a story. He tells the story of, in this instance, what we call the prodigal son. 
I almost think it's the wrong title. Shouldn't it be called the extravagant father? The loving father? Actually, that whole chapter is about things that are lost. The first part is about a lost sheep. I always think about that as a sheep sort of having something to eat and looking and thinking, ooh, that looks a nice piece of grass. Ooh, that looks an even better piece of grass. Ooh, that looks an even nicer piece of grass. Ooh, what about this piece? Where am I? And all of a sudden, Mr. Sheep or Mrs. Sheep has wandered off and has lost the others just because they were looking at something else and not paying attention. They've sort of wandered away inadvertently. The next story is the lost coin. Interesting, in that image of lostness, the, the coin can do nothing to get lost of itself. It has no legs. It can't make a decision to get lost, but it gets misplaced. And actually, the image there is that the woman sweeps the house and turns the house upside down until the coin is found. Have you ever seen that before? I don't know about your house, but we have phrases in our house that we sometimes use, and sometimes I have to look with mummy eyes uh, to find what's missing. Our God looks, after, looks out for us, not only with father eyes, but with mummy eyes. And then in this part of the story, what we see is this son who effectively says to his dad, I wish you were dead. I want my freedom, my inheritance now. And do you know what? The Father is gracious enough to give us our freedom. The Son rejects the family business, the family home, the security, and the provision. And he wants to do it as, uh, I can't remember the guy, it was at Frank Sinatra. I want to do it my way. And he gives the Son his freedom. We have a loving Father who doesn't just hold on to us and make us obey Him, but He gives us that choice, that freedom. He's not a dictator. But there's something in the Father's heart that aches and agonizes over this lost son and is constantly on the lookout for him to return. He's watching and waiting and longing for his son to return home to him. And it's an active participation. He's not just sitting there hoping. He's on the lookout. He must have been, because later in the story, we read that while the son was still a long way off, how did he recognize him? I doubt he had binoculars, but while the son was a long way off. The father was actively looking. His heart was aching. And he was seeking and looking for that one that he would recognize. God's looking, longing, and waiting for you. He's given you freedom, maybe to wander off. Maybe you just find that you've been misplaced and are not in the place that you'd love to be. 
Or maybe like the prodigal son, you have deliberately decided not to follow God. But he's active, watching, waiting, looking. And I love that bit where the son is sitting, good Jewish boy sitting with pigs, uh, and he's so hungry he could eat what they're eating. Uh, I sometimes look in our dog bowl and I think, (laughs) I'm not sure that I would want to go that far. Sometimes the tinned meat smells quite nice, but um, anyway, that's another side of it. But the son is sitting there and he begins to develop this speech in his mind, doesn't he? I'm going to go home because my father's got servants and they're far better off than me. And I'm going to swallow my pride and I'm going to go back and I'm going to say to dad, father, I have sinned against you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. That's the speech that the son prepares. And I can imagine him beginning to make that journey home and rehearsing it in his mind. Father, I have sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just make me one of your servants. That's enough. Father, I have sinned against you. No longer worthy to be called your son. Just make me one of your slaves, one of your servants. I I, I just want to be here. And he's rehearsing that. And the father sees, sorry, sometimes this gets me. (laughs) Because the father sees the son coming, and what does he do? You just wait till you get home, son. I'll teach you a lesson. (laughs) He does the most ungentlemanly thing of that time and era. He gathers up his robes, exposes his legs, and he runs to his son. He runs to his son. The custom would have been in that day and age that if you dishonor your family and you leave the village, if you were spotted returning to the village, the villagers would run to the boundary, they would take a pot and smash the pot. And that says you are banned from this village. It's a a process called, I think it's Keziah or something like that. And the son would have been forever banned from that village. But what the father does is he runs to meet him before the villagers can get there and break the pot in this undignified, disgraceful action to get to his returning child. And God, the Father, runs to meet you. Whatever you've done, wherever you feel. And when he meets him, the son starts the conversation, doesn't he? Father, I have sinned against you. And I love this bit. The father cuts him off, hugs him, and says, get me a ring. Get me a robe. Get me shoes. He embraces him and kisses him. He's overjoyed. He does this demonstration of public affection that wouldn't be done 
And he's saying to the villagers and those around him, this is my boy who's come home. You haven't got a chance of excluding him. He's mine and he's coming back. And he gives him a robe that's something about the identity of belonging to the family. Just as Tartan would identify somebody in Scotland of belonging to a clan, that's the same sort of thing. It identifies him as belonging to part of the family. There is some discussion about whether or not the ring gives him the authority to conduct business on the father's behalf. The ring was often used as that symbol of authority to conduct business and to transact. And the father gives him a ring and says, maybe you're back in the family business. <laughs> I love to think that that's true. Son, you're back in the family business. <laughs> What's God's family business? Don't we long to be in it? I hope we do. And he gives him shoes. Slaves and servants didn't have shoes. Sons and daughters did. He's saying, in all those symbols, you're my son, you belong here. Be a part of my business and know that you are a precious son. <laughs> and then the next bit. Let's have a party. <laughs> Do you know you're invited to a party? This is a party. This is what it cost. This is what it cost God, the Father, through the Son, so that you could be brought home and forgiven and set free, that the Father could run to you and meet you. <laughs> this is our party. Do this in remembrance of me. Yet outside, there's an older son who thinks he's doing all the right things. He's very dutiful. Do you know, one of the sad things about my father is he was a very committed uh, elder in a brethren church. And I think so much of his life, he spent serving God out of a sense of duty, actually with very little joy, if I'm honest. My dad was taken seriously ill, uh, went into hospital for a triple bypass and a heart valve uh, to be replaced in 2013. And when they operated, they discovered another underlying problem, uh, something called cardiac amyloid. And dad never really recovered from that. And um, he had to have an external pacemaker fitted. And um, I went in one day and the nurse said to me, I said as I was going in to visit him, I said, is dad all right? She said, yes. There was a bit of an incident last night, but he's okay. <laughs> uh, what it unfolded was that he had this external pacemaker. And in moving him between the chair and the bed, the pacemaker either got knocked off or fell off and smashed on the floor. And Dad's heart stopped completely. And apparently when Dad woke up, he said, he, well, he said to me, he said, it was wonderful. He said, there were lots of doctors and nurses in the room, and they were all making such a fuss of me. I said, uh, okay. He 
He said, and there is one question I could ask, which is, can I keep on singing? Because I've been in the presence of Jesus and I just want to sing. <laughs> and from that moment on, I saw such a significant change in dad. And when my dad, who believed that the work of the Holy Spirit had finished when the apostles died, when I asked if I could pray for him to be filled with the Spirit, he said, yes, please. And I saw such a transformation of dad's life. In those last few months, when he was still seriously ill, and I'd go in and say, Dad, do you mind if I pray for you? Can I pray in that language that's God given me? Oh, he said, yes, I'll have more of that Holy Spirit. I wonder if there's anyone here that senses you're serving God out of duty, where actually what God wants to do is give you the joy of the feast with him. See, he says to the older son, all of this belongs to you. All you need to do is ask, and you can have it. It belongs to you anyway. I want you to have the joy of the feast whenever you want. That's the Father's heart. The one who runs to you. The one who embraces you. When we come to him in repentance and contrition, he wants to wrap his arms around us, to restore us, to give us his identity, to welcome us into the Father's business. To enforce that we are his children. And to feast with us. We have an opportunity, whoever you are, to experience that afresh today. Why don't we ask God to come right now and just to minister to us? Because he's a good, good father. That's who he is. And we're loved by him. That's who we are. Would you stand, if you're able?